Hello. I'll be reading from the scripture from the New Living Testament. So it's from Ephesians 6, 10 to 18. A final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvations as your helmet and take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the Spirit at all times and in every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. The word of the Lord. morning, church. Let's pray together. Father God, we just praise you for the summer and the different pace that we have in these weeks. And Lord Jesus, we thank you that we can gather together. We can gather in your name. Lord, we can come and, and worship you. Lord, sing songs that remind us of your truth. Lord, thank you for the way that that encourages our heart. And Father, I pray this morning, just as... Um, as I speak, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would be speaking through me, or that we would receive from you all that you have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, have you ever been called a hypocrite? Have you ever been called a hypocrite? A hypocrite is someone who, let's say, they come to you and they say, I, I don't think that it's right to lie. I don't think that it's right uh, to slander someone or speak poorly of someone. And then maybe the next day or next week, you see that same person doing the very things they said was wrong. And you look at them, you're like, come on, man, don't be a hypocrite. You know, Christians are called hypocrites a lot. People look at you and you're like, hey, man, that thing that you're doing, doesn't it say in the Bible that that's wrong? Why are you doing that? You're a hypocrite. Maybe in your own life, you looked at yourself and you're, you're calling yourself a hypocrite. And you're like, man, the things that I want to do, the things that God's Word's telling me to do, I, I'm just not doing them. I wish I could, but I'm not. You know, I often find myself struggling in my walk with Jesus. We've just been reading Ephesians, and it's just so full of this brilliant, amazing truth about God. And it's followed up by all of this brilliant, amazing um, practices that Paul gives us. He gives us a new ethic. He tells us the way we ought to think, the way we ought to live our lives. He, he talks about the way that we relate with one another. He talks about our marriages. He talks about the way that we're to interact as parents with our children. He talks about the way that we're supposed to interact in our workplaces with, with our employers and, and being an employee and how all that plays out. And at the end of it, you might get to the conclusion and be like, man, I, I, I really want to do all of these things, but sometimes I find it difficult. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul instructs us to live a life worthy of the calling to which you've been called. 
Right at the beginning of Ephesians 4, he says that. And, and you read that and you're like, man, I want to live a life worthy, but sometimes it's really hard. Well, Paul anticipates this feeling in Ephesians chapter 6. Because he's just finished telling us the way that we're supposed to act in, in the context of our workplaces. And for many of us, that might be the hardest place you find yourself trying to be a Christian. Trying to live the way that you know you're supposed to is in your workplace. And right after Paul talks about that, he, he makes this charge and he says, Finally, be strong in the Lord. And he, he tells us that you're going to struggle. He tells us that there is opposition, there's things coming against us that's trying to keep us from living the way that God wants us to live. It's almost like he's saying, okay, I've given you all of this instruction, but guess what? There's an enemy out there who doesn't want you to walk in this instruction. There's an enemy out there that wants to keep you from living the very way that God has called you and instructed you to live. There's an enemy out there who's trying to keep you from the purposes that God has for you. He's trying to keep you from the blessings that God has for you. He's trying to keep you from the peace that God has for you. And I think many of us can relate to that. I know I can relate to that. Desiring to walk in the way that God's called me to walk. Desiring to experience the blessings that God has for me. Searching for the peace that I know is in Jesus Christ, but sometimes I feel like I just can't get it, and it's like there's someone keeping me from it. Paul anticipates this. And not only this, when we read in Ephesians chapter 2, we understand that it's not just this spiritual mafia, the devil that's coming against us, but Paul starts off Ephesians chapter 2 by reminding us that we were once dead in our trespasses and sins, that we were following the course of this world, that we were following the prince of the power of the air, and that we once lived in the passions of our flesh. And here, it's almost like Paul's pointing out that there's three things that are really pushing up against us living the Christian life. There, there is the devil, the spiritual mafia, following the prince of the power of the air. But there's also the reality of our culture. That as Christians, we live in a world where our culture doesn't want to see us walking in the fullness that God has for us. They think it's quite silly, actually. And when we look at our culture, maybe we see people doing and engaging in things that we want to do and engage in, but we're like, eh, the Bible says I'm not supposed to do that. But then he also points out that we once lived in the passions of our own flesh. This reality that even within us, there's this sinful nature. There's something within us that doesn't always want to live the way that God wants us to live. So we're fighting the spiritual mafia. We're up against our culture. Sometimes we're up against ourselves. What are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to do? In order to overcome opposition, we must stand firm. Stand firm. Paul tells us, stand firm in this place of blessing that God has given to you. Stand firm in the way that God has called you to live. Stand firm in the peace that Jesus has given you. We say, okay, thank you, Paul. Thanks for that exhortation to stand firm. But how do we stand firm? How do we do that? Well, he's not done yet. And he goes on. And he's telling us to, to put on the full armor of God. Put on the full armor of God. You know, I have this memory of, of doing some work at Camp Carolina. We were supposed to build this paintball shed out in a field. Um, and before you build anything, you're supposed to make sure you have a good foundation. 
And so I got with me some junior high and high school volunteers, and we trekked out to this field, and we have shovels. And we're trying to level the land with shovels. And it's a very slow process. And I was sharing this with uh, one of the maintenance workers at camp, and not 10 minutes later, he pulls up in this tractor, and he drops the shovel on the tractor, and he drives forward about 15 feet, and right there we have a level surface. You know, us working with those shovels, we didn't have the right tools for the job. We didn't have what we needed to complete the task that was given to us. And if Paul is telling us in Ephesians that the task that we have is to stand firm, we are unlike a bunch of boys standing with shovels trying to level the ground. Because God has given us the tools that we need. He's supplied for us what we need. The armor of God is supplied by God. It is our responsibility to take it up. It's our responsibility to put it on, to use it confidently against fighting the powers of evil. And here Paul is telling us to put on the full armor of God. He's echoing what he said earlier in Ephesians chapter 4, where he, he's writing about us putting on Christ. He says, put on the new self, created after the likeness of God. And it's almost like now he's telling us a bit more about what that looks like. The new self the armor of God. And this armor of God, it's not some magical idea of power. It's not like suddenly we become these strong, mighty warriors that run into battle. You know, to think that way would be to think like Simon Magnus in Acts chapter 8 who wished to purchase the Holy Spirit so that he could conjure up and, and, and make wealth for himself by using the Holy Spirit. With the armor of God, power is not the goal. The goal is a life lived in relation to God. This power is not for impressive acts, but for living obediently. For living obediently. So how are we to stand firm? Well, we put on the full armor of God. And over the next uh, three weeks, um, myself and Pastor Ken are going to be unpacking each piece of this armor. And so hopefully after each message, you will feel more equipped more empowered to stand firm against the opposition that you face in this life. Today I'll be looking at the first two, the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness. Next week, Pastor Ken will pick up from there. I'll talk about the shoes fitted with the the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, as well as the shield of faith. And then I'll close us off on August 5th by talking about the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. So let's dive into it. Paul writes... In in Ephesians chapter 6, that we need to stand firm. We need to stand firm. And he says in verse 14, Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. Stand therefore by fastening on the belt of truth. Now if we literally translated this passage, it would say, Gird your loins with truth. Gird your loins with truth. Who's been asked to gird their loins before? Anyone? Gird your loins. I've never been asked to gird my loins. I I doubt that any of you have ever been asked to gird your loins. But in the Greek, it's important for us to notice this because I, I feel like Paul's not just telling us to put on a belt here. He's telling us that we need to be prepared. In the first century, soldiers wore these long tunics. It'd be kind of like wearing a long dress. Now imagine like a football player or a hockey player trying to move around the rink or the field wearing a long dress. They're going to be hindered. They might trip as they're running along. 
And so similarly, these soldiers in the first century, they had on these long tunics, and they were told to gird your loins. So what they would do is they would would hike up this, this tunic, and they'd actually tuck it through their legs and wrap it around their waist, and they would secure it using a belt. But in doing this, they were now prepared for war. They were prepared to move around. They were prepared to go to battle. They were able to move. They were no longer hindered by this tunic. So when Paul says, gird your loins with truth, he's not just telling us to put on a belt. He's telling us to be prepared. He's telling us to have a specific posture. And this is important. Because when it comes to us facing opposition, when people call us hypocrites, maybe rightfully so, it's not that we woke up that morning thinking to ourselves, today I would like to be a hypocrite. That is what I want to do. We don't think that way. The reality is that sin and evil, it doesn't look evil. It doesn't look wrong. It's quite subtle. The reality is that we don't wake up wanting to do these things, but evil comes and it looks attractive. It looks desirable to us. It looks perfectly legitimate. But before we know it, we're trapped. Before we know it, we've crossed the line. Before we know it, we've, we've fallen into the trap that the devil has had for us. We've given into culture. We've indulged our sinful desires. And we're like, shoot. Paul wants us to be prepared because evil rarely looks evil. And he's saying that we are prepared. We are made ready. Our, we have girded our loins when we put on truth. When we put on truth. Paul's been talking a lot about truth in Ephesians. In chapter 1, he calls the gospel, the good news of Jesus, he calls that the word of truth. In chapter 4, he says that the truth is in Jesus. We have slides on this, Steve, I think the next one here. I don't know if I jumped ahead of you. Truth. The gospel is the word of truth. The truth is in Jesus. We're told that we're supposed to speak the truth to one another in chapter 4, verse 25. And that truth is a light in the darkness of our culture. So Paul's Paul's been talking about truth throughout the Gospel of Ephesians. But he's only really expanding on what the Gospels say. Jesus teaches that truth leads us into freedom in John chapter 8, verse 32. And in John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus makes this profound claim that he is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is truth. Truth is so contended in our culture today. It's so contended. And that makes sense to me. Because the reality is, if, if, if I'm living a certain way, and I believe that the way that I'm living is true and right, and someone comes to me and says, Hey Adam, the way that you're living is not true. It's not right. And I consider your evidence, I, I take it to heart, and maybe I come to agree with you, I have no choice but to change the way that I'm acting. So truth compels people to change if they find that they're not living properly. So we live in a world where people don't really like truth because if they find that they're wrong, if they find that what the way that they're living isn't right or what they believe is wrong, well, that demands change in their lives. People aren't comfortable with change. We would much rather say that truth is completely subjective, that your truth is your truth, my truth is my truth. Let's just, let's just, agree to get along, and it's okay. But friends, I don't think that truth is something that we simply just make our minds up about. 
Truth isn't something that we have to conjure up and decide that, okay, this is true, this isn't true. Rather, I think truth is something that is discovered. The Bible teaches us that truth is knowable. It teaches us that truth is in Jesus. And friends, if we invite someone to search for truth, if we believe what the Bible says, we have to trust and believe that if they're searching for truth, they're going to find Jesus. If people seek truth, they will find Jesus. And when you think about apologetics, when it comes to sharing your faith, it's interesting how often we try to appeal with someone that, you know, that, that Christianity is a, a good thing to believe in. And a lot of people will reject that, but maybe next time say to them, you know, have you ever just gone look, go looking for truth? Go looking for truth. Because if we believe what the Bible says, we believe it. That if they go looking for truth, they're going to find Jesus. They're going to find Jesus. The truth becomes a way of which we are to live by, a way by which we are to live our lives. But how then do we put on truth? How do we put on truth? Paul's telling us to put it on, but what does that mean? Well, I think the first thing in putting on truth is that we have to accept truth. We have to first accept truth, which is us coming to God's Word and recognizing that God's Word is the source of truth. The source of truth. And this really is, is it's an act of humility. It's an act of humility. Because it's, it's us saying about God's word that, do you know what, I, I don't have in and of myself all the answers. I don't have it all figured out. I don't in and of myself have and know the truth. But God's word does. He's revealed it in his word. And so we humbly accept the Bible as a source of truth. We begin doing this by giving our lives to the foundation of God's Word. The question really is, how can we stand firm if we are uncertain of where truth is? How can we stand firm? You know, uh, Jelene and I are really close to being parents, and we oftentimes make the mistake of going to Google and asking questions about parenting. I don't know if you've ever done this. So you might Google something like uh, about a baby's mattress, and you're going to get a thousand and one search results, each one telling you different things about mattresses. And it's going to go on and extensively explain to you why one is better than the other, and why one's probably going to kill your baby, and one's going to be the best. And, and it goes on and on and on. And you as a consumer and a parent are left staring at all of these options like, oh my goodness, like, how am I supposed to figure this out? How am I supposed to stand firm as a parent? How am I supposed to care for this child? Because the more that you Google, the more you'll find out that none of us are competent or capable enough to care for children, apparently. And it goes on and on and on. You know, but sometimes you find those one websites that you're like, you know, this one seems good. I, I think I can lean on this one. But imagine a soldier in first century being called to gird your loins. Get ready for war. And so he runs to his closet and he opens it up and there's a bunch of belts hanging there and he, he looks at them and one's made of rope and one's made of leather and, and one has jewels embedded on it and he stands there wondering, which belt am I going to put on? All the while the enemy is in the camp, the enemy gets up to his door and before he has a chance to put that belt on, the enemy has overtaken him. 
Friends, we can't stand firm if we're wondering where truth is. When the enemy's coming at us with lies and accusations, when our culture is throwing all these things at us about what is true and what is not true, we cannot stand firm if we do not have the confidence and the assurance that God's word is true, if we haven't accepted that. So putting on truth begins by accepting that God's word is true. Secondly, we seek to live in and by the truth. We seek to live in and by the truth. And this is to say that we look at God's word and we say that I want to base my whole life, I want to base all of my activity in my life on the word of God. On the word of God's truth. And what does this mean? And this is, uh, I've used this illustration many times. Does anyone know what this is? Does anyone see this? Anyone know what this is? Brad, you got to know what this is. Brad knows what this is. This is a plumb line. And when we talk about truth, or if you're ever talking to someone about truth, you might want to use a plumb line as an example. Now, if I'm saying that I want to base my whole life on truth, can everyone see this? I feel like these giant flowers are in the way. Um, if I say that I want to base my whole life on truth, you might say it's kind of like a plumb line. And a plumb line is used in construction, and what this is is a four-ounce weight on the bottom of this string. And when this four-ounce weight stops moving, as you can see, it's kind of waving in my hands, but when it stops moving, I can say with complete confidence that this string is perfectly level up and down. It's perfectly level because of the weight of this, this weight at the bottom. And so I might use this to see if a wall is straight up and down. I might use this, I might hold it up against the picture frame to see if the picture is, is, is straight up and down. But if we're saying that this plumb line is like truth, you see how it's not within me, it's external, it's out here, and I've discovered truth. And as a Christian, it's like, man, God's word is true. I went looking for truth, I found Jesus, it's in God's word. Now what does God's word have to say to me? Again, we've been reading in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4 goes on to say that if any of us is stealing, we, we need to stop stealing. So I read that in God's word, that I shouldn't be stealing. And let's say that I'm someone who steals. Well, my life is not level. It's not straight up and down in accordance to this truth. If I'm stealing, it's more like this. And so the invitation to live your life by the truth is to say, well, God's word says I shouldn't steal, but I'm stealing so I need to bring my life into alignment with God's word. And stealing is just one example. We might talk about the way we talk about other people. In Ephesians, it says, do not slander. If you're slandering, it's like your life is off kilt. It's not in line with God's word. And so to bring your life in alignment is to ask forgiveness for slandering and, and say, God, I don't want to be that person anymore. I don't want to slander. So you bring your life into alignment with God's word. The truth is like a plumb line. It's like reading Proverbs chapter 3. It's a very, very familiar proverb. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Which is to say, trust in the Lord. Believe that what the Bible says is true. I, I choose to trust you, God, that your word is true. What's the second part? Lean not on your own understanding. Which is to say, you know, truth isn't coming up from within me. It's not what I decide is true. I believe God is true. I'm not going to lean on my own understanding. I'm going to trust that Jesus is true. What's the next part? In all of your ways, acknowledge him. 
in all of your ways acknowledge him. Which is to say, Lord, I want to trust you. So when it comes to how I manage my finances, when it comes to my marriage, when it comes to me being a parent, when it comes to the way that I carry myself in my workplace, when it comes to the very words that come out of my mouth, I want to acknowledge you. I want to bring my life into alignment with your word. And what's the promise? And he will make your path straight. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways acknowledge him. He will make your path straight. That's living life by the plumb line of God's word. That's the second thing. We live in and by the truth. Thirdly, we identify our uncertainty. How do we put on the belt of truth? We accept truth. We live in and by the truth. Thirdly, we identify our uncertainty. A lot of people say that Christians are ignorant. And some of us might be ignorant. (laughs) But being a Christian isn't about blindly accepting truth. It's not about blindly accepting truth. Remember what I said? That accepting truth is about, it's an act of humility. So rather than just blindly accepting, it's it's not saying, I'm just going to blindly accept. It's saying, Lord, I admit that I do not have the answers. And I choose to recognize that you do, that you have the answers. Now, does that mean that you understand those answers? Does that mean that you even agree with those answers? Not necessarily. I think we cripple ourselves in our walk with God when we just blindly accept things and we don't think about them. Because what happens when our experiences don't line up with what the Word of God is saying to us? You know, I think about the psalmist David in, in, in Psalm chapter 13. He says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me? Forever? And we read that psalm and we go, Whoa, 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 David. Your theology is way off base. We might say to David, God's not forgetful. He hasn't forgotten you. Where, where you get that understanding? But what David is doing is he's saying, Lord, my experiences in my life aren't lining up with the things I believe about you. And that's really hard. That's really hard. And so we tighten the belt of truth around our waist when we choose to take our doubt and our confusion and our frustration and our difficulty and we bring it to God. Because God is bigger than our questions. If Jesus is who he says he is, and I believe he is, then he should stand up against every criticism every investigation, and every question we have to bring to Him. Does that mean that God just gives us all of the answers? Not necessarily. But friends, He will always give you Himself. He will always give you Himself. How does the belt of truth oppose our enemies? Well, in John chapter 8, verse 44, the devil is called a liar. Jesus calls him the father of lies. 2 Corinthians verse 11, verse 14, this verse should terrify us. The Apostle Paul says that the devil disguises himself as an angel of light. One of the devil's main tactics is bringing lies against us, coming at us with deception. But when we know God's truth, when we've accepted it to be true, when we've sought to live our lives by the truth, when we've developed confidence in God's word as true, We can identify those lies. And we can say, no, that is a lie. Truth should become the context by which we live our lives. It's a firm foundation. 
By truth, we establish our identity. We get a good sense of our place in the world. By truth, we can construct an ethic and a way of life. The truth, again, is Jesus. So prepare yourselves. Gird your loins. Get ready. Stand firm with the belt of truth fastened around your waist. Pray a prayer of humility, confessing your need for God's truth, and submit yourself to His truth. So that's the belt of truth. Paul goes on, and he says, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness. You know, when I read this verse, my immediate temptation is to not put on the breastplate of righteousness, but to put on a breastplate of my righteousness. The temptation is to put on a breastplate of my righteousness. Which is to say that it's, it's my good works, it's my good doing, it's, it's me engaging in good acts and doing all the right things that's going to help me stand firm against the enemy. But here's the problem. If I'm wearing a breastplate of my righteousness, one bad thought, one misstep, when I do one thing that's out of line, when I'm not living by God's truth for even a minute, the devil can just come and poke holes. My righteousness isn't going to last very long. The breastplate of righteousness is the breastplate of Christ's righteousness. It's the breastplate of Christ's righteousness. It echoes of Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7 where Paul writes, In Him, in Jesus, we have redemption through His blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. Did you notice in that verse that there's nothing that we do? There's nothing that we do in this verse? Later on, Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2. It says, for by your good works you've been saved. No, that's not what it says. Paul writes in Ephesians 2.8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your doing. It's the gift of God. Not as a result of your works so that no one may boast. So Paul has established in this letter that it's not our righteousness that helps us to stand firm. It's the righteousness of Jesus that empowers us to stand firm. You know, I heard a story of a, a man who goes to build a house for his family. So he draws up the blueprints and he orders the materials. And his six-year-old son comes to him. He says, Dad, I want to help you build the house. He says, okay. So the dad begins working on the foundation. And the son is in the dirt playing. The dad begins building the walls and, and constructing the frame of the house. And the son is busy with a crayon drawing all over the blueprints. And the father is working to put the final touches in place. Putting up the light fixtures making sure that everything's working the way it should. And his son is fast asleep in the cab of the truck. Once the house is completed, the father and the son stand outside the house and they're looking at it, admiring what's been accomplished. And the son looks up at the dad and he says, Man, dad, we sure did make a great house. And the dad looks down at his son. He says, Yes, yeah, son, we did. Yes, yeah, son, we did. Our righteousness before God is like that. We're like a six-year-old. We, we would stand no chance building a house. But God sent His one and only Son 
2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. That we might become the righteousness of God. Not because of what we've done, but because of what Jesus has done. So how do we put on righteousness? First, we point to Jesus. We point to Jesus. If putting on the belt of truth is a prayer of humility, putting on the breastplate of righteousness is a prayer of dependence. It's saying, Jesus, I need you. I need you, I need you. Every hour, I need you. I cannot do this on my own. God, my righteousness is like filthy rags before you. We begin by recognizing that it's the work that Jesus has done. We begin by recognizing that we are wholly and completely dependent on Jesus. Wholly and completely dependent on Jesus. And man, culture does not like this. They come against this message and they're like, man, we can do it our own. We can do it on our own. We can make it on our own. All you got to do is be a good person. All you got to do is be a good person. Do whatever you want. Just, Just be a good person. We read the Bible. We read verses that say, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we read God's word and we see that, man, I cannot be a good person by God's standards. There is no hope for me by God's standards. No hope. Do you understand that the the Sermon on the Mount concludes with Jesus saying, Be perfect as my Father is perfect. Be perfect as my Father is perfect. I don't read that and go, yeah, I got that one. I'm perfect. No. I read that and go, Lord Jesus, I need you. I need you. I know so many Christians who, we live as if Christianity is about adherence to rules and doing all the right things so that God won't punish you. But when you live this way, you're just fixing on yourself a breastplate of self-righteousness. We need Jesus' righteousness. How do we put on the breastplate of righteousness? Secondly, we pursue acts of righteousness. So you're listening to what I say and you're like, man, you're saying that our actions don't matter. Well, Paul anticipates that question in Romans chapter 6 when he says, are we to continue sinning so that grace may abound? He says, by no means. He says, how can we who died to sin still live in it? We put on righteousness by pursuing acts of righteousness. And I believe actually that when we stop pursuing righteousness, we've actually taken off the belt of truth. Because if if we want to live in God's truth, if we're seeking to live our lives by that plumb line, it means that we're seeking to live a life that is righteous before God. It doesn't mean we believe we can do it, but we pursue it, we chase after it. And when we point to Jesus, we see his righteousness and that spurs us on and it encourage us, encourages us to be people of righteousness. It encourages us to be the one who's extending love to this world, the one who's serving this world, who's thinking of others before ourselves. And what's our enemy's reaction to this? Well, in Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, we read that the accuser, that is the devil, has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before God. But they, the saints, they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. 
We, we've learned that the devil is characteristically a liar. Revelation teaches us that the devil is characteristically an accuser. He wants to come to us and tell us that we have sinned ourselves out of God's love. The devil comes and he pokes and he prods at our sin. He says that we're bad Christians. He says that we're bad people. But what do we do? We put on the breastplate of righteousness and we say to the devil, we say, perhaps you're right. (laughs) Perhaps you're right. But I do not take confidence in my righteousness. I take confidence in Jesus and his righteousness. That's what Revelation 12 is saying, that they overcame the accuser by what? The blood of the Lamb, the righteousness of Jesus, and what? The word of their testimony, the way in which they've been saying, I look unto Jesus. Jesus has done the work. So in conclusion, what does Paul tell us to do? Stand firm. We need to stand firm. We need to stand firm in the place of blessing that God has us. We need to stand firm in the purposes that God has for us. How do we do that? Well, first we put on a belt of truth. We pray a prayer of humility. We come before God. We say, God, I don't have all the answers. But I want to live my life by your word. I want to live my life by your standard. Because I believe that your standard is truth. And then we put on a breastplate of righteousness, which is a prayer of dependence. It's coming before God and saying, God, I I cannot do this on my own. I need you. I need the righteousness of Jesus. And we live our lives looking unto Jesus. We look unto Jesus. Let's pray together. Father God, we recognize that some days we struggle Some days we get up in the morning and, Lord, we don't mean to struggle. We don't mean to fall into sin. We don't mean to give any temptation, but it happens. Lord, and we praise you, Jesus, that in your word, not only are we told to stand firm, not only are we told what to do, but we're given the tools in which we are able to do that. So, Lord, we praise you for the belt of truth, and I pray for each one of us here. God, if this is something we have not made our minds up about, I pray that you would help each of us to pray that prayer of humility that acknowledges that your word is true. Lord, that we would confess our need for your truth. And Father, too, I pray that we would take up your breastplate of righteousness. Lord, that it is Christ's righteousness, the finished work of Jesus, the shed blood of Jesus on the cross that makes us in right relationship with you, Father, that brings us back into relationship with you, that brings us back into our created purpose. Lord, that we can live life in relationship with you in context of who you are. Lord, with all the joy and the blessing that that brings, Lord, I pray that each of us would reflect on that this week. That we would look unto Jesus. Lord, that that would encourage our spirits. And in all things, Jesus, I pray that you would help us to stand firm. Help us to stand firm, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.